Recording from the Sunshine City, St. Petersburg, Florida, overlooking beautiful Tampa Bay, this is the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute. This podcast is dedicated to medical professionals and patients around the world interested in diagnostic and interventional ultrasound. Our podcast will discuss everything ultrasound, from news, trends, career paths, new technology, and industry updates. Hosted by Lori Green and Tricia Rio of Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, they bring over four decades of experience in the ultrasound profession and are here to guide you through this journey. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sonography Lounge where we talk about all things ultrasound. I'm Trisha Rio and I'm here with my co-host Lori Green. We're down here in sunny St. Pete. We've got the Grand Prix going on so you might hear some buzzing noises in the background from the Formula One race cars. But, you know, we get to have a nice view and watch it all go down. That's right. Tricia, today's episode is sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute and is part of our Career Spotlight series. And today we'll be speaking with the program director of an echocardiography program. You know, there are many different types of career paths a sonographer can take, but often they are either unaware of these opportunities or they don't know how to make a transition from a staff sonographer position to another role. And so our Career Spotlight podcast series is designed to provide information from various sonography professionals who have experience working in one or more of the various career pathways, and that we can share personal experiences of different sonography roles and the associated benefits and challenges with each of these uh, positions. So today's episode will feature a career as a program director or and educator in a long-term accredited cardiac ultrasound program. And so we're here today with Christy Jordan. She's the program director and adult echo professor at Florida State College in Jacksonville, Florida. So welcome, Christy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Hello, everyone. Hi, Christy. Awesome. We are so happy to have you here as well. And so um, without further ado, let's just go ahead and uh, get started. And, um, you know, Christy, you have a lot of experience in the cardiac ultrasound profession as well as the cardiovascular technology um, profession. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you initially make the decision to go into the ultrasound profession and then eventually transition into education? Sure, sure, yeah. So um, actually, my grandfather passed away at age 51 of a heart attack. I get chill bumps when I talk about it because I, and and I was eight, so I didn't, you know, at, at eight years old, I do remember things about him, but my grandmother, you know, she's 92, she's my best friend, and I've just seen how it has impacted her and my mother, you know, and so um, if he was still here, you know, with things that we do now, they could have saved him, but um, he, he had an EKG three hours before he had a massive heart attack, and, you know, it was just a hometown doctor that didn't know what they were looking for, or maybe, I don't know, the EKG machine at that time in the 70s, you know, um, didn't have the information that they needed, but it's, um, it's definitely, um, I get excited about knowing that I am, am, you know, touching these people in a way that their grandfather can be. And so I had uh, known about heart disease from a young age. My sister, actually, she is a couple of years older than me, and she was a student worker at a college in Gainesville, Florida, Santa Fe College in Gainesville, Florida. 
and she actually told me about a cardiac program. And at that time, it was called the Cardiopulmonary Technology Program at Santa Fe College. And I wasn't aware that there was a, a program that just specifically focused on heart-related disease. And so I got some information about the program. And actually, my senior year in high school, I shadowed a cardiovascular technologist because, again, the, the education field has changed. But at the time that I went through school, it was cardiac catheterization and cardiac ultrasound. And so I shadowed someone in uh, the cardiac cath lab my senior year in high school. And when I got into the program, I just had the passion for, for ultrasound. And so as the program evolved and as the field evolved, when I graduated from the program and um, had this as my career, I actually worked in the field doing both cath and echo. And then transesophageal echocardiography came around and just um, more advances in the field of ultrasound. And so uh, I just became a full-time cardiac sonographer at that particular time. So I actually started at a young age. I joke with people and say that I was five when I started in this field, but, you know, that's certainly not the case. But I actually graduated from one of the first cardiovascular programs in the United States, um, one of four in the United States um, when I was 21. So I've been in this field for 30 years now. Wow, that is incredible. That's so funny. You know, it's I really like how um, you are a very passionate educator. And I can see now that hearing that little bit of background, why, you know, you really had a driving force that inspired you. And it's yeah, funny that you sure. say you were five when you started, because I swear the same thing gets said about Lori all the time. <laughs> how old yeah. were you when you got out of school and started x That's our secret. That's our secret. <laughs> exactly. We were, you know, we were the the little childhood geniuses, right? That's right. The founding <laughs> yeah. babies of ultrasound. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't like to age ourselves, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. You're only as old as you feel. That's right. All right. Well, Christy, why don't you tell us a little bit um, about your program and maybe some of the key benefits or challenges associated with being involved with a long-term school as both a program director and a faculty member? Sure, sure. So, I teach, I'm the uh, program director and a uh, faculty member at Florida State College in Jacksonville, and we are a state college. Um, our program offers an associate of science degree program, and we actually have two specialties. So we do have specialty of cardiac catheterization and cardiac ultrasound, and really cardiac and vascular ultrasound. So we're, we're actually um, in the works with trying to start a diagnostic medical sonography program as well. Uh, but we are, a, again, a two-year degree. Our program is limited access. And so most of these programs around the United States are limited access. I am actually on the um, uh, accrediting committee for cardiovascular technology schools. And that, so that is just specifically cardiac ultrasound. Um, and cardiac cath, and um, most of these programs are uh, very rigorous programs, and so they are limited access, and that students are chosen based on the grades that they make in their prerequisite courses, or some of these programs you have to have a, a previous degree, and so they're very rigorous programs in that we are in the um, classroom 
pretty much all week and in the labs pretty much all week. So some people will look at these programs and say, oh, well, that's just a one-year certificate program or that's just a two-year associative science degree program. And when you think about it compared to some of the bachelor's degree programs in other fields, not necessarily in our field, but in other fields, um, we're in in these we're in school full time, and so um, these students have a lot of learning that they have to do in regards to the field. They spend a lot of time in lab, um, making sure that they are perfecting the skill before they go into clinical rotation. And the students come to us um, with um, they're very educated when they come to us and very high quality students. Um, this particular go-round for, we just accepted our new class. We had 120 applicants, and we accepted 24. So, um, you know, it's it's certainly something that um, if, if this is a career that you want to do, then um, you certainly need to think about um, making sure that you do well in these prerequisite courses so that you can, you know, be accepted into these programs. Wow. Yeah, that. I remember my time in school the same way. It was full-time, five days a week, clinicals and classes. And just, you're right, year-round, very rigorous. But, yeah, yes. 120 mm-hmm. applicants, 24 accepted. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, we're excited about this new class um, coming up. We accept one time a year. Um, there are some programs that accept uh, twice a year, but we accept uh, one one time a year. So 24 students, one time a year. And so most of your students, when they um, come in, hopefully they, you've uh, informed them of how lucky they are to get into your program because there's uh, only a select few that get chosen. So as, as these students get involved into your class, I know even when I went through my programs many, many moons ago in x-ray first and then ultrasound, we started out with a certain number of students, but once they got into it and saw you know, what the commitment was required and so forth, and we, we had a little bit of a, uh, attrition there. So um, how, how does that, how, have you seen that that t- typically happens or sure. because you're yeah. picking cream, cream of the crop, that doesn't happen? <laughs> yeah, no, it does happen. Life happens. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's probably the most difficult part or the most challenging part of being a program director, faculty director of a college, because you you know that these students have worked very hard to get into this program. Um, And like I said, life happens, but we we also have an obligation to the public. You know, we have an obligation to our patients and we can't stop in the middle of the program and, um, you know, take care of, of life issues that we have. Um, so that, that's probably the difficult part is trying to encourage these students to continue. And some students can't, it, it is, um, you know, a rigorous program, as I was saying, and, and students will find that it is more challenging than what they expected. And, um, some, we, we do have students that, that do drop out every single class. We have students that, drop out. And so, like I said, that's probably the most challenging part is trying to, um, you know, make that decision with telling the student, hey, listen, this is just not working out. You know, I understand that you have to work 40 hours a week, um, but you also have to commit to this program. And there's certain standards that we have to keep within these programs, especially within our accreditation. And so, um, you know, that's probably the most difficult part is just having to 
you know, tell the student you've, you've got to make a choice here. And sometimes they, they don't have a choice but to say, you know, I have to work. And so, yes, um, we, we try to catch these students at the very beginning and um, tell them as much as we can um, to make sure that you have your life prepared before starting this program. You think about it, it's only five semesters. And so do everything you can. It's okay. We tell them it's okay if your kids eat, you know, cereal for dinner and, you know, your clothes are found on the uh, sofa. It doesn't matter, you know, think about the uh, rewards that you are going to benefit from when you graduate from this program. Yeah, absolutely. A great career is ahead of them if they can just make it through. Yes. You end up being, you know, a lot of times people don't realize this, but as an educator in a longer term program, it's not just about uh, developing the curriculum and implementing the program, uh, making and making sure that they get through the components and segments of the program, but you also serve as a guidance counselor. Oftentimes you're the, oh, yeah. the, the second mother, right? So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have, and, and we don't want to lose these students, you know, with the accreditation process, we have to give numbers. And so, you know, a lot of people will say, well, this is just the weed out course. We don't have weed out courses. We don't want to weed out our students. We have a community that needs help in this field. I mean, if you look at, you know, these national um, job postings, you'll see that there's plenty of jobs in sonography. And so, um, you know, that's not something that we're trying to do is, is weed out students. But we, again, we do have quality that we are committed to and we have a, a responsibility to the public. And so we will definitely uphold that, um, and, and we, we do, we, we end up being counselors, we end up being advisors in regards to, um, you know, other courses that you can take or other career paths that you can take. So it's not just about um, teaching, definitely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So for anybody who may be considering a career in ultrasound, um, can you just give them a little sample of some of the prerequisite courses that they would be required to take? If they wanted to come sure. to Florida State College? Sure, absolutely. So we have our standard requirements that are required for an associative science degree, and that is your standard English. Um, and in the state of Florida, it's ENC 1101. Um, we do have a math course that you have to take. Um, some people are not, you know, math is not their field, and so college algebra may not be for you, but we do offer um, or accept other courses such as um, we have a course that's called topics in math and so that doesn't necessarily have to deal with algebra um, or statistics so there's other courses that we can accept that will um, fill that math course and then there's a standard social and behavioral science course so you know maybe something like psychology that's what a lot of students like to take um, a humanities course and then we um, do require uh, anatomy and physiology one. We teach a uh, very in-depth cardiovascular um, anatomy and physiology course your first term. And so we just accept the, our, one of our prerequisites is just anatomy and physiology one, but there are a lot of programs that uh, require anatomy and physiology one and anatomy and physiology two. Oh yeah. I mean, that's going to be very heavy, very, very heavy on that. So 
as sure. a sonographer. Yeah. You have to know your anatomy and physiology. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so I want to backtrack a little bit, Christy, and just kind of talk about um, uh, how you transitioned from a clinical sonographer to education, and were there other um, roles that you had prior to making that decision to go into education? And um, so that the sonographers who are listening here that might be considering a change in, in their career pathway, uh, what, you know, what kind of steps that they should take and, and what you feel is important for an educator to have? Sure. So um, I would say probably the first step would be to um, get involved in any schools that you have in your area, even if it may be a school that may be an hour away. Um, some of these students do, um, uh, they will travel to go to school. So they, there may be students that live close in that area that are interested in doing uh, clinical internships. We, all of our students in the medical field, um, and that you know definitely goes for the sonography in, have to do clinical practicum. And so that would be the best way for you to get started is to be a clinical preceptor. Um, you know, we need good clinical preceptors. We're in the field of sonography. We are not trained as educators. And so we have to find those uh, people that are in the field of ultrasound that also have a passion for teaching. And so I would say that that is the best way to get started right now is um, initially is uh, touching base with um, schools, if there's any schools in your area, and being a clinical preceptor. If there's no schools in your area, then definitely get involved with um, facilities that maybe give continuing in, uh, medical education uh, training seminars or also um, societies. So the American Society of Echocardiography, the Society of Diagnostic Medical Sonography, those are also opportunities where you can teach. So teaching is not just, you know, you think of, well, teaching is just in, uh, you know, a school. That's not necessarily the case. There's definitely other opportunities to teach in regards to, you know, our societies and other facilities that um, offer continuing medical education. Absolutely. And there are different ways of of teaching as well. I know a lot of times you, when you think of someone as being an educator or teaching, um, that they're getting up in front of a uh, group and they're presenting a PowerPoint presentation and going through that process. And although that is definitely can be part of uh, the role of an educator, the clinical instructors are equally as important. And some people just are not comfortable getting up in front of a group, whether it's a group of, you know, students that just graduated from high school or they're already established medical professionals, they just aren't comfortable with public speaking skills, but yet they do an amazing job one-on-one -on -one working with people, uh, teaching them how to do hands-on. So you kind of have to find your niche in education. Yeah. And um, there's also, um, like as, as you mentioned, through the professional societies, organizations like ours at Gulf Coast Ultrasound, we're always looking for uh sonographers and other medical professionals who are um, have a passion to teach and have the experience level to be able to share with others and that can be done even behind the scenes through the development of writing a book or articles or developing other products so um, it is something that I would I would also um, add that if you're thinking about the education 
profession that you don't necessarily have to lock yourself into, oh, I have to be able to know how to put a PowerPoint together and stand up in front of a lot of people. But in terms of your long-term students, you're dealing with typically uh, individuals who also need a lot of guidance because oh, know, yeah. even though they may be adults, they might not be that far into their adulthood <laughs> and need a little more, bit more uh, guidance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, we, we cannot have a program and, and all programs around the United States if we didn't have those people in the field that were willing to help train the students in their clinical practicum. So um, it's a great um, asset to us. We actually have, um, and, and most of the programs do, if you're an accredited program, you have to have an advisory board. And we have what's called the business and industry leadership team. And so we work together with our um, subject matter experts in the field to make sure that we are meeting the needs in the community with what we're teaching in the field. So that's, you know, that's another way too, is you can be a part of um, uh, an advisory board for these facilities and, um, you know, making sure we're doing what we need to be doing as we're sending these students out in the field. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if someone were to start out as a clinical instructor, they get a little taste of what it's like when these students are coming through and uh, their various clinical rotations, but then they um, could potentially become involved um, in other ways with the school if they like, if they find that they like uh, teaching one-on-one, -on -one, or maybe they feel like they want to uh, expand that, that knowledge into other areas, then basically would you suggest that they reach out to maybe a local college, a program director, and see are there any openings and what kind of opportunities are there that might be a good fit, uh, fit for them? Sure, yeah, that I would definitely do that. Is um, it, and, a, and a lot of times it's not necessarily advertised in the hospitals. It may be advertised in the societies if they're looking for an instructor or something like that. So definitely reach out to your school. Um, if you see that there's a need in your community and it's hard for you to find sonographers, then, you know, why not? see about starting a program or helping with that process process of starting a program you know we're not a a licensed field at the time and one of the main reasons that we're not a licensed field is because we don't have enough programs to um to fill the spots that are needed and so if we became a licensed field then we would have you know people uh, or, or patients that didn't have properly trained individuals um, you know, in that particular role. And so we now the state of Florida has more programs than at least cardiovascular programs than than any other state. But there are some states in the United States that do not have a cardiac ultrasound program. So that's hard to believe. Um, but there are still uh, uh, states out there that do not have cardiac ultrasound programs. So, you know, even getting into that role of saying, okay, well, what what is it going to take, especially if you're at a facility and it's, it's hard for you to find good quality trained uh, people in the sonography field, then, you know, if there's that need, then work with your college to see if it's something that can get, you can get started with doing. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. Absolutely, because there definitely is 
a demand for cardiac sonographers and vascular mm-hmm. technologists um, because that's typically just something that they might get introduced to in a general ultrasound program but not really get sufficient uh, education to be able to leave their program and say, yes, I know how to do vascular, yes, I know how to do cardiac because they just got a small introduction to it. So um, sure. you know, what we see is there there tends to be a, a, a larger demand for sonographers that are in the the cardiac or vascular careers. So um, I did want to ask you a little bit about um, or bring up the point that, uh, again, when when, uh, sonographers or other uh, individuals are considering a role as a program director or an educator and some of the key, um, key individual skills and things that they need to keep in mind that uh, surely have to be flexible. There's a lot of things that have gone on in the world, and I'm sure that, like us, you had to make some adjustments to adopt to the uh, the COVID pandemic. And so uh, as far as uh, skill sets that you would look for in someone that you are potentially looking to hire um, as one of your faculty, um, Sure. What what yeah. what are the, some of the key things that you look for? Sure. I, I would say probably the first thing would be a, a passion for teaching. As I was saying earlier, we we are not educators by train. You know, we we have not trained necessarily to be educators, and so um, it's people who are um, who are versed in our field. And so I would say that that would be the first thing that I would look for is a, a passion for educating. All of the other things, like you were saying, working with the PowerPoint, you know, all of those things will come into play as you're you're in the field. But talking with these students at um, you know at their basic level and understanding where they're starting from and not expecting these students, you know, we can't just say, okay, this is the heart, and you know it has four beating chambers and this is how it it works. You have to come up with different ways of um, enticing these students to um, be interested in going beyond what we teach in the classroom. And so I would say that's probably the biggest thing is passion for teaching. You have to have patience um, because um, students don't always get it right away. And so if they don't understand it right away. We have to think about different uh, and a different, a different approach of ways of teaching um, these students. So, um, you know, w- once you get into the field, I know in the uh, education end of it, uh, we have at our institution, you know, we have a lot of PhDs. And so, you know, that's something that you can do um, in regards to furthering your education once you get into the field. But um, there are plenty of schools that will accept um, sonographers who have associative science degrees with the expectation that, yes, we want you to work on your bachelor's degree as you come in. So I think that that's a misconception in regards to a lot of educational facilities that you have to have, you know, this master's degree or this Ph.D. No, we want people who are versed in the field of sonography. We want people who have a passion to teach, and we will work on those other entities. There may be, you know, a prerequisite of a bachelor's degree. So that's something that, you know, you can work on. A lot of these hospitals will pay for your education. And so, um, 
you know, if that's something you want to start working on as you um, start to get involved in these schools, that may be a good idea as well um, is, you know, start working on your bachelor's degree. And I didn't have a bachelor's degree in education. I had a bachelor's degree in, in healthcare administration. So it doesn't have to be in the uh, education end of it. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think I would also add to that that I know a lot of times I I discuss education with different people, even even participants at our courses. And oftentimes uh, when we're interviewing for different positions that uh, it, it comes across that the perception that there may be a perception that as you move into education, that you're kind of getting to the end of your career. And, you know, it's a it's a time where you can kind of slow down a little bit and and just kind of, you know, the the perception of education is a little bit that you're it's not quite as stressful as it is as a staff stenographer. Sure. I think yeah. that would be quite yeah. untrue. And how would you, <laughs> from my experience yeah. anyway, so, um, it's just yeah. a different role and you're utilizing your knowledge and skills in a different manner, but it certainly um, is quite, um, uh, quite involved with wearing a lot of hats, right? Yeah, definitely wearing a lot of hats. You know, I would say probably the biggest reality for me when I became an educator, and, I, and I'll tell you, I became an educator at 29. So um, I was quite young when I uh, started working full time at the program um, in Gainesville, Florida, the cardiovascular technology program in Gainesville, Florida. But I would say the biggest thing that um, that was a reality check for me is that you know, when I left my job at the hospital as a sonographer, then that was it. You know, the studies were done for the day. Um, you, you, you know, the physician had read the exams and that was the end of my day. And I didn't think about the day again until I went back and I started with, you know, my patient for that morning. And that's certainly not the case in the education field. It is, um, it, it's definitely uh, time consuming. Um, yes, there are some benefits to that in that um, w there is a, a bit more um, uh, liberalness in regards to our time. It's not strictly necessarily like we have patients eight to four, but um, I don't leave my job you know, when I leave school, I don't leave my job because there is um, always a student in need or whatever it may be in regards to um, the extra things that we have to do. A lot of uh, faculty directors are not just like in my role. I'm not just a faculty member. I'm also a program director. And so when I'm not preparing for my lectures for the next day or thinking about new ways to teach these students, we are doing things that we have to do to maintain our accreditation process, um, to accept new students into the program. And so a lot of times it's like you were saying uh, earlier, you're definitely wearing multiple hats. And so, yes, there are some benefits to um, teaching, but um, I would definitely say if you're wanting to slow down, this is not the, the field to go into if you're, <laughs> if you're wanting to slow down. I definitely agree with you. Because it's not slowing down. In yeah. fact, I think what you're doing is putting on a brand new pair of running shoes yeah. to get started. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You already wore the other ones out clinically, but you're going to be using 
many, many more <laughs> as your yeah, career absolutely. progresses. Yeah, you're just layering on at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be wrapping this up real soon. Um, just to kind of end this up, do you have any like key words of wisdom or recommendation for anyone considering a career transition from a clinical setting to a, a long-term education environment? Sure. I, I would say, um, you know, you just have to listen to your heart and, and you know that if, if you get excited about telling other people about the field, like I'll just tell you yesterday, we, I was doing my last lecture before this class starts to go into um, the, the clinical setting. And she said, are you exhausted? Because you were just so energetic when you were you know, presenting this material. And I'm like, no, I just get so excited about teaching um, new people in the field. So I, I would say that if you, if you listen to your heart and you say, you know, I really enjoy this and I really enjoy teaching, then there are just several different avenues as we discussed um, earlier, several different avenues that you can take. And uh, we need that. We need people in the field that are willing to teach, that have a passion for teaching. And so I would just encourage that you just step out there and, um, and, and help others who are starting out new. You really, truly make a difference in these students' lives. You know, all of us as sonographers can probably tell you um, about a teacher or a clinical preceptor or someone that we met in the field that didn't leave a positive response, you know, or a positive feeling for us in regards to this field. So I, I would say if you have that feeling and that passion for teaching is step out on a limb and, and help us in the field with training others to be the best that they can be. Yeah, that's really great advice. And I personally can speak on that aha moment when you're working with someone and they just get it. And it is such a rewarding feeling. Yes, it is. It is. Yep. And one of the things that we talk about here at Gulf Coast Ultrasound is that, you know, there are a lot of challenges and things that you go through and there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to, to make your programs successful, whether it's a long-term program or a continuing medical education program. I always remind everybody that, you know, in some way, whether it's directly or indirectly, we're helping uh, other people to save other people's lives. And so that starts right yeah. from the student in a long-term program, and it, it continues on throughout your career as a sonographer, regardless of the role that you're in. Whoever you're teaching, you are helping them to improve the quality of care and safety for their patients, which ultimately uh, ends up with more positive outcomes. So it, it, I totally agree with you that if you want to be in education, it has to be that you truly have a passion to teach and help other people and realize the role that you have extends way beyond the initial education that you're providing. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, it has been awesome talking with you today, Christy. Um, we're going to wrap up this episode, but I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you about your career pathway and uh, your ultrasound program that you're in charge of and, and, and sharing uh, some of your experiences with our audience. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Well, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. 
Yeah. Thank you so much, Christy. All right, you guys, we're going to encourage you to stay tuned for additional episodes from this and other series. If you have any suggestions for content, you can email us at sonographylounge at gmail.com. And we'd also love for you to get social with us. You can follow us on our Instagram or Twitter pages. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Sonography Lounge. Don't forget, if you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, at Sonography Lounge, and Twitter, at Sonography LNG. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to send an email to us at sonographylounge at gmail.com. Have a great week and scan, scan, scan.